and welcome to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. Vivekji has experienced much of what the world has to offer, whether it is attending an elite business school or traveling to almost 50 countries. However, tired with the inconsistent and incomplete peace associated with these pursuits, he decided to turn his journey within. Over the last decade, Vivekji has shared his observations on the signs of independent joy with communities across North America and beyond. Why meditate? That is the focus of this week's episode, which continues our Meditation in Life series. In it, Vivekji describes how we must treat life as preparation for contemplation and the virtues we must cultivate in order to prepare for this process. Let's tune in. child becomes a kid and they're aware of the fact that their parents know how to drive. They can use the accelerator and the steering wheel and they know the rules of the road. They're very appreciative of that. And they often ask their parents, how is it that you know how to drive? How is it that you are driving? Once, Rishi Narada was observing Bhagavan Brahma. And Bhagavan Brahma was fully balanced, fully dynamic, managing all of the multiverses. And Rishi Narada had asked him, why do you work the way that you do? How do you work? the way that you do. Bhagavan Brahma responds to Rishi Narada that Bhagavan Narayana lives in my heart. It is Bhagavan Narayana. He is the reason of why I work. He is the how of my work. He's established in my heart, so my mind my words, my body, they don't drift. They don't engage in that which is wrong. Anyone who forgets that Bhagavan Narayana, that God is the why of their mind and their mouth and their body, that person starts to feel I and is referring to that mind and that mouth and that body. Bhagavan Brahma says that the one who forgets the presence of the divine, Shwa Shregala Bhaksha, they are calling this that is food for dogs, food for jackals, as themselves. 
bodies. The body is described as food for animals. Yet when I forget that my nature is divine, I start to think I am this food for animals. Last week, you completed the subtle body. Your study of the subtle body, all of the yogas within Sanatana Dharma have the sole purpose of directing the antakarana, antaha. The antakarana, the mind, intellect, memory, ego. This is our subtle body, the software. And yoga is to direct this inside, higher, deeper, to the atma, to the spirit. When one is not engaged in yoga, one is engaged in viyoga. One is an extrovert. One experiences stress and anxiety and sadness. CBT, I think this stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. One teaching in CBT is to make whatever work you have to do manageable. So if you have a big room to clean, you pick a corner, you pick a table, you, you pick a drawer, and you start with that. You make it manageable, then you move on to the next portion, the next drawer. Now I have these four parts to my software. I have to start with what I feel I can manage. Now, this is not the ego. We cannot manage the ego. This is too pervasive, too elusive. In regards to the memory, I don't feel the harm that the memory causes me. I don't identify strongly with the memory. Some of us have a personality that is more mental and some more intellectual. Now, our society has made this idea of being mental. <laughs> wrong and, and slang, but it simply means that I'm more strongly identified with my mind as compared to my intellect. The word that Swami Chinmayananda uses is emotion. If one is more emotional, then one is encouraged to practice bhakti yoga. In bhakti yoga, one engages in puja and japa. Puja is Deva Puja. I am offering my worship of a Deva, of an icon, so that I stop engaging in Deha Puja, worshiping this form. And I engage in Japa. This is Deva Nama. I'm remembering this divine name so that I forget about my Nama that I'm so important and I'm so separate from you. So the antakarna is taken antaha. If one is more intellectual, then one is encouraged to follow jnana yoga and jnana is only possible through 
upasana. Upasana of jnanis. Objective sciences, you can internalize through the internet, through a newspaper. You don't have to hear an objective science from someone who believes in that objective science. A subjective science, you do have to hear from someone who is living this, has that integrity. Upasana of Anyani stops our Damba. Damba means hypocrisy. Damba means disintegration. Where I say that I am Brahman, aham Brahmasmi, yet I'm jealous of my spouse, of my coworker. That's Damba. But when I'm sitting near someone who's great, it hurts because they know that hypocrisy, but it helps because I realize that I have to make this change. And this Dhamba evolves to Dharma. One becomes more integrated. One becomes more humble. Bhakti yoga, jnana yoga. The point, the purpose of the chapter on the subtle body is to let go of the gross body. In Kata Rudra Upanishad, what is shared is some seekers, they only groom in the spring that they don't groom the rest of the months because they're just not concerned with this equipment. And when spring comes, then they engage in that grooming. There's that level of disidentification. You should gauge, you should time. Just like in a chess game, if you take too much time, you lose. You should time how long you engage in grooming the body, showering, combing your hair, brushing your teeth, shaving. <laughs> I've come down to shaving once or twice a year now, and that's only because I'm married. <laughs> if I wasn't, it'd be once or one or two years before I shaved. <laughs> Just to gauge whether I'm studying about the subtle body, but I'm still stuck with the gross body. We now shift to the last chapter of the first portion of Meditation and Life. And this chapter is entitled, Why Meditate? <laughs> in case you've forgotten, after 26 classes, of why we're in this course, and Swami Chinmayananda asks us, why meditate? If you can go back to when you were in high school, or university, some of you are in university, or you've just started your careers or volunteering, whatever it may be. In that freshness, we all wanted and felt like we could have everything. Yes, we can have our full-time professions and be loving family members and go to the gym every day and be 
uh, a volunteer for various community groups and engage in puja and japa and sign up for four courses a week and keep your sink clean <laughs> and cavity free and on and on and on. Yes. I want everything. This shows a lack of experience. <laughs> because as we began our professions, our volunteering, our family lives, as we got older, we realized that you can't have everything. Living is an opportunity, an opportunity cost. If you want possession, you can't have peace. If you want position, you have to let go of pleasure. This opportunity cost in the language of Vedanta is renunciation. Think about how much you've renounced in your lifetime. In this chapter, we're asked to think about why are we renouncing moksha? Why are we renouncing independent joy for whatever we're holding on to? In the beginning of Tattva Bodha, Atma Bodha, Viveka Chudamani, the sadhana chatushtaya is shared. The qualifications that are needed to seek. And the first and foremost quality, viveka. To know what's important. Only when I know what's important will I be able to feel what is real. Viveka pulls vairagya, pulls that is uh, independence, the shatsampati, which are disciplines, virtues, pulls mumukshitva, wanting freedom. If Viveka is not there, there will not be meditation. Srimad Bhagavatam is 18,000 shlokas. And in the second skanda, really it's the first skanda, I take that back. At the end of the first skanda, leading into the second skanda, Raja Parikshita asks Rishi Shuka, what should a dying man do? Because he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. He's blessed that he knows when he's going to die. And too many of us interpret this in a externalized way. What a drama that he's going to be bit by a snake and all of these rishis are there to teach him. This is a question we should be asking because we are dying. Opportunity costs are dying away. Opportunities to renounce are dying, renounce are dying away. What should we be focused on now until we are free. And Rishi Shuka's sole response is contemplation. Exactly what we're studying. He says, Jitta Asana, Jitta Shwasa, Jitta Sangha, Jitta Indriya. 
Think of what these words mean. Jitta asana, disidentify from the body. Jitta shwasa, disidentify from the breath. Jitta sangha, disidentify from the mind. The mind is always longing for company, for input. Jitta indriya, the intellect is where desires manifest. When I feel incomplete, it is through my senses that I eat and watch. Jitta means to disidentify from the intellect. When I have renounced all of this, I'm in this holding pattern. Because the ego identifies, but now there's nothing to identify with. And when this knowledge comes in, this ego has to land on the spirit. And that is enlightenment. Think of this word jitta. Jitta means to discipline, direct, conquer. So the March Madness tournament is complete. A team that has conquered an earlier team, they don't keep thinking about them, right? They conquered them, they move on. They conquer another team, they move on. Next year, another team will conquer the team that won this year, they move on. Once I disidentify, I have to keep going within. This contemplation in the best way is on one swarupa where I'm trying to make this ego identify or align with sat, chit, ananda, existence, awareness, joy. Rare is the seeker who's able to do this. Surprisingly, Rishi Shuka even tells Raja Parikshita that uh, if you can't do this, you should engage in contemplation on the, not Swarupa, but Vishwarupa. If you can't contemplate on the Jiva, who you are, contemplate on creation. Contemplate on where do the clouds come from? What is this table made up of? And if that's not possible, contemplate on your Ishta Rupa. Contemplate on your Jagadishvara. Swarupa is Jiva, Vishwarupa is Jagat, Ishtarupa is Jagadishvara. To contemplate, for that ego to identify with more, with the most. Swami Chinmayananda says that contemplation is for harmony. Where is the greatest disharmony? Every one of us knows that the greatest disharmony is within ourselves. Yet, it could just be words. That the greatest disharmony is in me, but I'm pointing to another couple, another country. At the end of Ramayana, Rishi Bhushundi tells Garudaji, Parama 
dharma, shruti bidita ahimsa. The shruti teaches, or what should be known by the shruti, is that the highest dharma, the highest way to live is ahimsa. Highest here means deepest. Where my mind and intellect don't fight with each other. There's words like self-canceling thoughts. I want to wake up in the morning, but I want to sleep in. I want to be physically healthy, but I like to eat ice cream. There's self-canceling. There's so much disharmony in that. That I want to be more loving, but I also want to be right when it comes to conversations. This disharmony is what stops us from feeling that peace is possible. Face everything and, and rise should be the answer. But for many, it's face everything and escape. How do I escape? I remember past pleasures. I plan for future pleasures because I don't even think peace is possible. But once I start living more harmoniously through dharma, less self-canceling thoughts, less self-doubts, there is clarity that living independently joyously is possible. We are in a chapter entitled, Why Meditate? And our scriptures are teaching us the only way we will ever be complete is through contemplation. This why is so obvious, but it has to become not a forced obvious, but a natural obvious. Now, to wrap up thoughts on half of this chapter, we'll think about this some more next week. Do you know anyone who's achieved a work-life balance? Have you achieved a work-life balance? <laughs> and work here, please don't interpret, certainly not for me, that work means a professional job where you get a paycheck. A work-life balance is not possible. Every corporation I speak at, I openly tell them. They invite me to come and speak about work-life balance and my message is there is no work-life balance. A work-life balance is not possible because we make work and life dwaita. We make work and life separate. Success is self-development. When you're living your life for the development of the self, not development of society, but development of the self, yourself, you will feel successful, not just in work. You will feel successful in every experience, in every moment. That's where sadhana becomes full-time, not part-time. Part-time sadhana is me, again, creating work-life balance. I'm, gonna, I'm going to do some sadhana and be enlightened. It's not possible. As long as there's disharmony, I'm going to think it is possible. 
when there's harmony, there's honesty, there's humility, only knowing that self-development is success, I will be driven to develop myself more and more and more, more patience, more discipline, um, less demands, being less needy. And in the happiness series, I mentioned happiness series two, a societal gauge of success is good relationships, having good relationships. If one has miserable relationships, one will start to feel they're faltering, they're a failure. But if one has good relationships with their supervisor, with their kids, with their neighbor, with people on the road, they're going to feel that they're doing something right. Now, you can only have good relationships if there's self-development. If you're a reactive person, is that good for friendship or bad for friendship? You're going to have less friends then. But if you're a responsive person, so you're developing yourself not to react, you're going to have more friends and deeper friends. Coming back to Bhagavatam, after Rishi Shuka tells Raja Parikshita what a dying man should do is contemplate, Raja Parikshita is so happy that Rishi Shuka answered the question, so he says, I have another question. <laughs> he lists 21 questions in a row. <laughs> Not one, like, like an infant, you know? Yes, I have my parents' attention. Now I'm going to ask them all of these questions. So he asks him 21 questions in a row. And the first question is, how can the Atman be the body? How can the Atman be the body? And Rishi Shuka responds saying, the Atman is immaterial. The body is material. So the Atman cannot be the Sharira. The Sharira cannot be the Atman. They are mutually exclusive. So you're either the body or you're the spirit. You can't be the body. There's so much more to you than this body, which means you are the spirit. Pass the gross body past the subtle body. Why meditate? We have to start to address the causal body. Why is it that I even feel this subtle body and this gross body? If you enjoyed what you heard or want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at facebook.com slash cmniagara. For those on the journey of self-development, Chinmaya Mission Niagara provides a community forum for seekers to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmaya Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.